This is Cassidy Reinhart, and you're listening to Farming on Mars. everyone, I'm Sierra Ware and this is Farming on Mars, a podcast that tells the stories of agriculture on the South Plains of Texas. This is about the land here around the South Plains. With an average annual rainfall of only about 18 inches and unpredictable weather patterns, it can be just about as harsh sometimes as what I would imagine Mars being like. This week we're on episode 9 with a great conversation with Cassidy Reinhardt, who's the territory manager for Phytogen in Lubbock, Hale, Floyd, Crosby, Swisher, and Briscoe County. We talked about how she ended up selling cottonseed in the Lubbock area after judging livestock in college, as well as the history of phytogen, the enlist system, and phytogen's increasing presence in the Kansas cotton industry. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. So my name is Cassidy Reinhart, and um, I came into the agriculture industry. I was really born into it. I grew up um as a barrel racer, fun fact, um, and uh, all through high school was active in the FFA and 4-H, um, so showed livestock, um, did public speaking competitively, um, ended up actually graduating from a small town in Oklahoma. I'm from northeast Oklahoma, almost Arkansas, if you didn't know that, <laughs> uh, population like a thousand, and um, grew up with the family, uh, just very much a blue-collar family. Um, raised livestock, ran a small um, cow-calf operation, um, and so always was around livestock and means of agriculture uh, uh, with cattle and forages, not so much row crops. Um, but after graduating high school, I was offered the opportunity to judge livestock competitively um, all through college, which was a really neat experience. I tell people judging livestock is basically like being on the football team, but for ag. And so um, I was on the livestock judging team at Connor State College um, in Warner, Oklahoma, which is um, about two and a half hours east of Oklahoma City on I-40. And that opportunity actually led me to a full-ride scholarship to Texas A&M University, where I studied um, ad communications, journalism, and marketing with the animal science emphasis. So um still yet completely different side of agriculture than what I'm in today. And I remember... Um, how I got involved with uh, Dagger Sciences, which is now Corteva, is I was working at a, um, gosh, what are those called? A job fair. Because I was on the Coles Council, which is the College of Ag Student Council, and we put on an agriculture-related job fair every year. And um, I ended up meeting some people at Dow, just walking around and checking on the booth and and just that conversation with that person, I was not there to pass out resumes. We were still livestock judging, and I wasn't ready to start thinking about jobs, but kind of right place, right time, and I'm a big believer that the Lord puts things in your path for a reason and a season, and so um, that day I was asked to interview for a job with Dow, and it was um, the fall semester of my senior year, so I had one more semester to go, and um, after... Uh, the American Royal Livestock Judging Contest in Louisville, which is uh, the championship, the Super Bowl competition, if you will. Um, after that, I was flown to Indianapolis to interview for my job and um, was offered a job a few days later with Dow. And so, honestly, I didn't really know what that meant. 
I um, I knew of Dowager Sciences. I knew that my parents utilized the range of pasture herbicides on our own farm. Um, and in fact, when I was an intern in college, I worked for an advertising agency that um, did all the marketing and uh, publication work for Dowager Sciences. And conveniently, it was on range and pasture work that the project I worked on. So I had a I knew who they were and a little bit about them, but I honestly didn't know what it was. But um, very excited to be a part of the company and obviously to get a job out of college. Very fortunate and, and especially to be with the company that I'm with. Um, so what they like to do is put you out of your comfort zone from the beginning. It's pretty awesome. So I graduated from A&M in 2013 in May and immediately moved to um, Amarillo, which I thought, you know, I'll still be in Texas. And uh, what was neat about Amarillo was I was only working on corn herbicides um, up in the Panhandle. There's a ton of acres of corn in the Texas Panhandle. And so my project was to focus on how we could take the Dow AgriSciences corn herbicides and make them work in the market, what are guys looking for. And really a lot of research, figuring out from a marketing perspective what's going to work price-wise, if we're high or low or about right, all those things. And frankly, if the active ingredients are something that these farmers are looking for. And so I worked on that project for nine months. And then um, I was offered a position on the, the seed side. And, you know, where I come from, we don't have cotton. Let me just be really clear. We've got corn, mainly a ton of wheat and alfalfa and the occasional soybean field or two because I am on the Arkansas line where I grew up. So I didn't know a dang thing about cotton except that I like to wear it and um, <laughs> this is really bad. But I really honestly did not know anything about cotton. I did not want to move to Lubbock. <laughs> um, and that was where the job was because I remember I had the opportunity to come out here uh, to Texas Tech and judge livestock here, but I just, I did not want to live where it was flat and dry and the wind blew dirt. But um, I was asked to move to Lubbock to be on the phytogen cottonseed team, um, and we also at that time represented mycogen seeds, which is our grain corn brand, and so I was hesitant at first, but um, once I got out here and started learning more about cotton, um, I honestly loved it, and um, Lubbock has grown on me, and if I was going to work in the cottonseed business, as I am, there's no place better that I would actually want to be, and there's just something really unique about a cotton farmer, especially as you compare a cotton farmer to another kind of a farmer, um, just the pride and the hard work that goes into it, and it's almost... I don't want to say, well, it's just really prideful the way that people talk about cotton. It's very unlike another crop, and um, it's really neat to get to work in that kind of business and work with these people because they're very, very passionate about what they do. And so, long and short, that's how I've got to Lubbock, and I'm working <laughs> in this business. It's fun. I like it. Could you talk a little bit about the history of phytogen? Phytogen, oh my gosh. We are working so hard to just become the number one most reliable supplier 
in the cottonseed business. And it really started, Phytogen's story started back in 1980. And, and that's when Phytogen was founded. And they actually went into business um, in 1989, which is really cool. Um, our first variety that we came out with in 1993 um, was a King's Akela Plus variety. So if you don't know much about Phytogen, um, then you might not know that we are the market leader in not only upland cotton, which is what we sell here on the High Plains, but also Pima and Akela cotton, which are longer staple, higher quality cottons, and that came to us uh, from the early stages of Phytogen being founded. Um, just for like a timeline, in 1985 is when glyphosate resistance cotton developed, and we'll we'll kind of talk about that as we touch ba base back to enlist because I think that's really important. Um, but where Dow AgroSciences came into the picture was in 1994, where Mycogen, our grain corn brand that I just mentioned, bought Phytogen Seed Company. Um, and then in 98, Dow actually had bought Mycogen Seeds. And so Dow is the parent company of both Mycogen Seeds and Phytogen Cotton Seed. And we actually um, have a joint venture on the Phytogen Seed business with J.G. Boswell, um, who is the largest cotton producer in the state of California and uh, quite the businessman and so Fidage and Cottonseed Company is a joint venture between Dow Agrosciences which is now Corteva Agroscience and J.G. Boswell um, and side note as as a customer or a potential buyer of Fidage Cottonseed with all these mergers going on with all these big companies going from the big five to the big three um, a grower can feel really confident in the phytogen business because we are half owned by a farmer. And so that makes us very stable and secure as a business. Um, to kind of go on a little further, we first released Wide Strike in 2004. And Wide Strike is our BT technology um, that controls um, cotton bollworm and, and pests like that. Um, and then in 2011 to 2014, we really hit a lot of home runs, which is really cool to talk about uh, because we've had, in those years, we had the number one planter variety in all markets, whether it was Upland, Pima, or Kayla, the number one variety. Um, and our first number one variety was actually with Phytogen 375. And then uh, the next number one was Phytogen 499 for a couple of years, uh, which both varieties we've planted out here, but obviously have more um, success and popularity as you move to South Texas and across the belt. Um, the really exciting thing for West Texas farmers is in 2011, we actually introduced the Levick breeding program. And so it's only seven years old, but um, in 2011, we did add a breeding facility in Levick to focus more on varieties for the High Plains. Um, and then in 2014, we were the first company, seed company, to introduce a third BT protein um, for worms um, into our cotton, which is our Wide Strike 3 technology. So that is our our Cry1AC, Cry1FBT that we all know, and most companies have a form of cryogenes in their materials already, but in 2014, we actually added the Viptera gene into our white shark three and that's so that's the third gene I mean it sharpens our the bellworm control and you could definitely see 
the benefit of having wide strike three in your cotton, especially this year and even last year. Um, and the last thing kind of on the timeline is 2016 was the most exciting year for Dagger Sciences as a company because we launched our biggest technology to date, which is the Enlist um, weed control system and the Enlist trait in cotton. And yeah, <laughs> it was really exciting. It's the biggest and most successful launch that Dow's ever had. So could you kind of give an overview of the Enlist system? Obviously, my job is to provide a grower with a bag of seed that's going to yield and grade um, and then handle the, the disease pressure on its farm. But an awesome benefit, I've been able to work with growers um, with the past couple years since 2016. And this has been a part of my job since I started with Dow Agri Sciences in 2013 was the Enlist Weed Control System. My first day on the job was in Leela, Mississippi at a diamond showcase on June 3rd. It was very, very hot. And, and I learned about the endless speed control system. Now, back then, you know, because I didn't know anything about cotton, I didn't understand why it was such a big deal and why everyone was raving about spraying 2,4-D on cotton. I understand now. But... um. <laughs> It, you know, and I couldn't even fathom what all I was walking through that day at that Diamond Showcase about the endless weed control system because it was so new. I was fresh out of school, really didn't know what to expect. And I'm nervous because it's my first day on the job. But the endless weed control system has been my life for going on six years. And I, I really have been so excited to be around and... Um, with this launch and to be a part of the success that it's been. So um, the Enlist Weed Control System, what it is, is it's a, it's a full-fledged system. So what we've got is the cotton trait called the Enlist Trait. And what it does is allow a grower to spray three different herbicides over the top of cotton. So you can spray glyphosate or Roundup. Um, you can spray glufosinate or Liberty. And lastly, you can spray um, our 2,4-D choline proprietary blend that is in our Enlist herbicides. And um, what that does is it really just gives growers another option for post-management weed control um, tolerance. I mean, it'll for a post-control weed program. And that's what the Enlist provides, provides a grower. And we also, part of the um, Enlist weed control system, aside from just the trait that you get in cotton, not only do we have Enlist cotton, but we have Enlist corn and Enlist soybeans and Enlist E3 soybeans. And those two are pretty much the same, uh, but the gene is inserted a little differently on the Enlist E3. Um, so we've got the trait and those three crops. We also have the herbicides. So we have um, two different Enlist herbicides with our proprietary 2,4-D choline, and they're called Enlist One, which is a straight goods um, 2,4-D choline product. And what that does, that herbicide offers you lots of flexibility in regards to tank mixes, um, the use rate and handling, and the use rate is quite a bit less than that of our Enlist Duo, so it's easier to mix and put in the tank and you and to go spray. Um, it also gives you the opportunity to mix it with residuals and other herbicides that you might want to throw in the tank or um, surfactants and things like that. Um, but our 
our leading herbicide with the Enlist Weed Control System has been our Enlist Dual Herbicide, which is a premix of the 240-choline and our glyphosate, Dagger Science's glyphosate, and that herbicide is kind of your convenience option. All you have to do is fill your tank with water, put in the chemical, and you're ready to go. You don't need to add in any other herbicides or anything like that or surfactants with it. And both herbicides are fully loaded, so you really don't have to do anything but add the herbicide and water in the tank. And, and so we do have two options of that, the Enlist one and the Enlist Duo. And then our third kind of leg of the Enlist Weed Control System is the education component. So um, it's called um, Enlist 360, and um, that's just an educational um, component of our system where you can learn about, there's learning modules, you can learn about the technology, um, about the herbicides, there's the training from the field reps, um, like myself and my crop protection counterpart and so it really is just a, a full-fledged system and it's one that has really taken over and um, the cotton industry and um, as a whole but really out here you know and um, a lot of guys have trouble controlling their weeds and so this was just another option for them to come spray post over their cotton crop and um, but it, it does come with its set of challenges but um like any like anything does and um, so we actually introduced the enlist weed control system in 2016 and 2017 we had a mass introduction and from year one to year two in 2018 we have planted um 1.5 million acres of just enlist cotton we have a, a lot of acres of just watch track roundup flex cotton out there too but as it relates to Enlist, we've planted 1.5 million acres of Enlist cotton, and all of those acres were sprayed at least once, which is super awesome. We had we had a 3.3x um, increase in cotton acres and the herbicide from 2017 to 2018, and so um, that was really exciting in itself, and uh, we're just really excited to be able to continue to have the Enlist Weed Control System. Um, it's got a five-year label from the EPA, so um, our herbicides are going to be good to go until 2020, and um, we're looking forward to another successful season. What's your favorite thing about what you do? Well, my favorite thing that I get to do in the role that I have, so I'm a territory manager, um, which, which means I have a a set of counties that I work with uh, retailers and growers alike in. In my position, I am the phytogen front-facing person on the high plains and I primarily work with retail to make sure that they are able to get the products they need for the growers in the area. But my favorite thing is to work with the farmers because um, that's where the relationships are built and that's where it happens. And, and me, you know, I work with a great team of people, but me personally, I'm not a technical or data-driven person, but I love facts, but I love people. And I love just getting to be on the farm and be a part of the operation um, and get to help a grower make the best decision for his farm because really you've got to pick the right varieties um, because it's not a one-size-fits-all for anyone. And so um, it's really neat to be able to work with that producer to to find the right variety for its field, whether it's 
we're going to assume everything has yield and grade because if you don't, you just are not doing the right thing as a business. But we work with growers to make sure that we're putting products on the right acre in terms of, well, do they have verticillium wool? Do they need protection from bacterial blight? Do they have root knot nematode or reniform nematode? Those are all things that we work on. And that is the value that I provide to a grower. And I love getting to sit down and go farm to farm. Um, but I really like building the relationship. Um, these guys, they become family. And that's really neat because with my age, most of the guys I work with are old enough to be my dad. And it's just a really neat relationship because they teach me things. And they're I love being able to go alongside these guys and be taught by them and learn why they do what they do on their operation and uh, learn what makes them successful because at the end of the day it helps me make them successful with our varieties. What role has phytogen been playing in the cotton industry in Kansas? So I am not the Kansas Territory Manager but um, we've recently made a lot of alignment changes with um, our cottonseed business with the merger that we've uh, gone through with Down DuPont and one of those um, things that we've changed was to make Phytogen its own business so we're not focused on both corn and cotton. We are dedicated Phytogen seed selling sales force which is awesome. That was the first thing we changed. The next thing we changed was we added Kansas as a cotton state in in our company, which may not mean anything to a lot of people, but for us that was a huge deal because Kansas is not a state that traditionally sells cotton. So that's something that we really had to take a lot of time on, make sure we're making the right decision. But um, now um, we have a dedicated territory manager in the state of Kansas and a dedicated agronomist um, in Kansas. And one of the reasons that we acquired so much interest in cotton in the state of Kansas is because, I mentioned earlier, we we launched the endless trade in cotton um, in 2016. And if you don't know about the endless trade, then I'll tell you that the endless trait provides tolerance to not only Roundup and glufosinate, which we already have on the market today, but also 2,4-D. In Kansas, it's a 2,4-D state. I mean, they spray loads of 2,4-D every single year with all the weed acres that they have. And so one of the biggest struggles as a cotton producer is they they can't keep a crop around, just plain and simple. Um, the years that they've tried to make a cotton crop in Kansas, um, it's been heavily damaged by 240. And so that was a that was a really interest peak for these guys up there is they saw that we were bringing 240 traded cotton to the market and they wanted to have some because finally they would be able to grow cotton in Kansas without getting 2,4-D damage on it. And so that was the biggest um, kind of interest initially. And so in 2016, when we launched, we softly launched Enlist and let a few guys try it. We did have a couple of guys in Southwest Kansas try Phytogen Enlist Cotton in 2016. They weren't able to spray it, but they did get to try it. And in 2017, um, we had a full launch of Enlist, and that was where you could plant the cotton variety with the endless trait in it, but also utilize our endless herbicides. And um, aside aside just from the 2,4-D tolerance, that was the initial draw into phytogen. But these guys have stayed around planting phytogen because the varieties are working for them. 
Um, the yield and grade has just been really exceptional. And these guys up there, they're really fortunate because they can do a lot more with cotton there than we can um, on the high plains. Um, but now we're starting to get into varieties where we have just all different maturities. In 2016, we had one variety. And so all the way up two years later, we're able to offer those Kansas growers a portfolio of varieties from very early, early mature varieties to early mid varieties, even mids if they want to go that route too. Um, so far, uh, success as far as performance has been very, very good. Um, we haven't had a lot of cotton come back stripped yet, but we have had some of our newer varieties, Phytogen 350 for one, uh, that's been performing phenomenally up there. And one grower was really ecstatic, made over five bells, which was really awesome. That's not common. And um, so far, yeah, the success has been really good. So since you go around and talk to farmers pretty much all the time. What do you feel is their biggest challenge today on the South Plains? Well, right now, I think their biggest challenge would be weed control. Or at least that's what they'll tell you. Um, I think we probably have more important challenges than just weed control. Um, but currently, the biggest thing on the market is we've got to control our weeds. We need to control our weeds. Um, Guys have been saying this for a couple years now, and um, these new technologies, they've opened up the toolbox to have something else to utilize, but they're not perfect. Uh, but enlist herbicide can be beneficial because it does give you an, another option because as it relates to controlling weeds, you know, a couple years ago, there were guys buying rope wicks and trying to wipe their weeds that's just not as efficient as it needs to be, especially when you're covering thousands of acres as a producer. You don't have time to go over all the acres like that. And Liberty is another popular herbicide in this area, and it's just, you know, some people love it and some people hate it. And um, some people will say because we have a very dry climate, Liberty's not going to work as well. And um, Liberty, you know, is also one of those herbicides you've got to get things small. So there's. As far as a, a post-management weed control system, we really don't have a lot of options, so guys have really been struggling with what to do and, and what to use, and so they've pulled out things like rope wicks and and then and, and tried to use Liberty to the best of their ability, and so when these new technologies came out in 2016 and 17, it really opened up another door for how we can control weeds. Now, um, if you talk to me or anyone on my team, we're going to tell a guy that we we can't get away from using burn downs and residuals and pre's and all those things and overlap those residuals all throughout the season. A lot of times, if a guy does all those things, starts with the clean field, starts with the burn down and a good pre with the residual and overlaps them, most often they don't need these new herbicides. And... That's what I would like people to see is when there's there's a time and a place for both of these herbicides, we need to get our weed control um, program mapped out and just put it on the calendar. And I think if we just have a little prior planning and plan ahead, it'll be easier to control these weeds. Um, but that's the number one problem right now is just weed control. And there are a lot of different methods and ways to do that. Um, and... Our technology is not a silver bullet to do so, but it's something that can aid a guy if 
you know, he's doing all those things and still has some resistant pigweed coming through his residuals. Um, another problem we hear a lot about um, is verticillium wilt. Um, so we've been working as a breeding organization to provide varieties that have the most tolerance to verticillium wilt possible. So verticillium wilt is um, a breeding trait that we're constantly trying to find. If you know anything about vert, there is no such thing as a genetic marker to select for verticillium wilt tolerance. And so our breeders have to go out in the field and visually um, rate varieties on verticillium wilt. So we wish we could come out with those faster, uh, but we've certainly made a lot of progress to picking out verticillium wilt varieties. And that is something, if you have verticillium wilt um, in the soil on your farm, you've got to select varieties um, that are tolerant to um, that disease um, because there's nothing chemically that we can do about that as of right now. The next biggest thing in my territory is bacterial black. Um, the great thing with the phytogen enlist varieties are all of our varieties are bacterial blight resistant. So when you pick a variety um, with the enlist trait in it, then you know that it's got that bacterial blight tolerance, which is one less thing that a grower has to worry about. So we're working to combine all of our breeding traits in every single variety so that a grower doesn't have to decide, well, I've got root knot on this field, so I better go with 480, or I've really got bad ver over here, so I need to go with 350. Um, in 2022, it'll be in all the varieties, which is really exciting, but also, um, Reniform, which currently has not made its way onto the high plains yet, but it is very much, uh, it's made its presence quite heavily in the rolling plains in the Concho Valley. And um, they call the Reniform nematode the silent killer because the cotton plant will literally come out of the ground, get about to the first true leaf, and it will die. And you will not have a crop. And we've seen it in the San Angelo area where it's just completely wiped out an entire field of cotton. These guys can't grow cotton. Um, and so that is another, uh, another breeding trait that we are bringing forward to the farmer. We're going to be the first company that has it. But um, we will be launching Reniform, true Reniform varieties in 2020. And so our goal of our breeding team, just so you want to know, is, is to have all of those traits all in one. There's not a company that can provide that right now. And what we're trying to do as an organization is just take choices and options off. Because, you know, frankly, as a producer, I can't imagine picking a variety because there's a plethora of options out there. And what we're trying to do with our portfolio is narrow down, hey, you don't have to pick and choose what disease you have the worst or, you know, that kind of a thing. Now it's just going to be good old fashioned, what yields and grades to your liking. And that's going to be the choice that a grower is going to make. Have you had anything funny happen to you on the job? The biggest thing I don't like about Lubbock is the wind and it's flat and the wind blows dirt. And the reason <laughs> why is because I, I was diagnosed with chronic dry eye in 2009 and my eyes don't produce any tears, and I used mm -hmm. to only wear contacts. And about two years ago, yeah, about two, I've been in Lubbock four years. I've been out this way 
for going on six. But, <laughs> but about two years ago, I got told I couldn't wear contacts anymore because it was time to only wear them for special occasions. I tend to be very sensitive to light when my eyes get scratched. And, but I had a grower meeting that I had to go to. And so I called my retailer and I said, Hey Dennis, I'm going to be late, but I'm on my way. I'll be there in like 30 minutes. Had to be at the eye doctor and I'm driving with sunglasses like on top of my, on top of my glasses like this, you know, trying not to look at the sun. And, uh, I get there. So I got this grower meeting. I do a presentation. It is bright as a day in this building. And I said, and it, you know, and I'm crying because that's what happens when it gets scratched. And I told them, I said, man, can we turn these lights off? So I did a grower presentation in the dark. And to this day, there are growers that I run into that remember me as the girl who cried at a meeting. <laughs> Where do you see the future of the cotton industry going in the next 20 years or so? So from about the San Angelo area all the way Really, to tool you, it's predominantly cotton country, as you'd expect. There's, gosh, probably three plus three to four or so million acres of cotton just in that area. I know from Angelo to the Panhandle of Texas is about five or so. So there's a lot of cotton acres out here. One of the reasons we grow cotton on the High Plains is because we just simply don't have the water capacity that we used to have, and um, water continues to decline. And... Um, in this area, cotton is about the most durable and toughest crop that we can grow out here. And it's it's very much a, a hardy plant and something that can really take a lot of stress, which is why you see a lot of cotton acres out here. In the future, I don't see anything changing with our acres on the high plains. It's always going to be cotton, and you may see it go up or down a little bit, but um, it's really probably going to stay about flat in terms of acres um, to cotton because that's just what we do out here. We grow cotton and that's never going to change. Now as you get further north like in the Panhandle and um, there's several hundred thousand acres of corn in the Texas Panhandle as you get in that Dalhart area and Spearman and over that way and um, a lot of those guys made the switch to cotton this year. Uh, one reason was because of the corn price and um, but the other reason is because their their water aquifers are getting pretty low too, and so they can't pump their wells at the capacity that they could five years ago. And so a lot of these guys are trying to just be more sustainable and um, manage their water a little more efficiently, and that's the reason they're moving more towards um cotton and we've seen an incredible increase in the number of cotton acres up as you get north of I-40, north of Amarillo, due to uh, corn prices, but also the water capacity. And so I think if water continues to decline and corn prices continue to stay where they're at, then you'll continue to see the cotton acres increase um, as you get in the panhandle because we're not quite um, at full capacity on cotton acres up there yet, so I think there could still be some growth. So how did you get stuck in Lubbock? Well, so I... Have been a Lubbock since February 28th, 2014. Know it to the day. And that's when I started working on, well, January 1st was when I started working on the cottonseed side. But um, conveniently, after my first selling season in Lubbock, I met Austin. 
Um, he actually worked for another company that would be considered a retailer that someone like myself would call on. He did work at a different location than I called on at the time, but um, I ended up meeting him in Brownfield um, at Crop Production Services for the first time. And anyway, a few days went by and he asked me on a date. And uh, that didn't work out for the first several months. But because I was like, I can't be dating someone that now I'm the territory manager for that area. And I thought, that just is not going to work, you know, the perception thing. But um, anyway, we did end up going on uh, several dates and then we stopped. And then um, we decided maybe we should go on dates more because we really hit it off. It was just kind of the work thing and that was maybe interfering a little bit. But um, now you fast forward four years later, we've been together all this time and we got married um, on December 2nd of 2017 so we're about to be married a whole year and uh, he is a um, West Texan born and raised from Snyder and a Texas Tech Red Raider so gotta balance out the Aggie um, <laughs> but uh, yes he he's grown up here all of his family is here so it's kind of nice to be around family uh, and that that's really fun and now he's not working for a CPS anymore. He works for um, Wiley Implement out of Plainview. And so it's really neat because, you know, we started out uh, meeting and dating when it was a supplier-retailer relationship and, and turned into a friendship and then dating. But now we're married and he's been working for Wiley for several years. And it's so cool because we have about the same sales territory. And so we work with a lot of the same farmers. And so it's just really neat. And I always tell people, I'll sell you the seed and he'll sell you the equipment. And uh, <laughs> it's just a lot of fun because we get to do something that we really like together. And... Um, it's just a really neat experience because being a female and working in agriculture isn't always common. So to get to do that with your significant other um, is a really is really a neat experience, and um, it works out well for both of us. We have fun. Why do you think that West Texas is sometimes not perceived as the huge cotton-producing area that it is by other regions outside of Texas? I mean, the High Plains is the biggest cotton patch bar none and um i mean if you you could take the entire state of mississippi and stick it in one or two of my counties and that that would be the equivalent cotton acres and i still have more acres and so um i guess i guess i i really do wish that people um and maybe they do but i, I wish that people saw west texas for what it really is because I just in my territory work with over two million acres of cotton, and I'm one person. As a district, we we have over five million acres of cotton, and um, I know our company is making great strides towards being the supplier that's going to be number one on the Texas High Plains, and it'll happen. And these these things take time, but as of right now, you know, I don't think that West Texas is, is perceived as essentially the number one cotton producing area. It is across the world. It's, it's the largest cotton patch and it just really gets me going. <laughs>
And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Farming on Mars. Again, thank you to Cody West for allowing me to use his song Melody. Please go check out his album called Green. You definitely won't regret it. So I also want to mention real quick that I made an Instagram page for the podcast. So if you're an Instagrammer and really enjoy the conversations that we have on here, just search for Farming on Mars on Instagram and please go follow it. I hope you all enjoyed learning more about Cassidy as much as I did. I definitely had a lot of fun talking to her. So please remember to check back again next week for another great episode about the people of the plains. I don't know the answers.